Welcome to Roger and Me, a weekly movie review podcast where film critic Mark Dusick, aka Mark of MarkReviewsMovies.com and at MarkReviews, where he and I, Brett Arnold, at Brett Redacted on Twitter, we're doing some Siskel and Ebert cosplay. That's a new, fun, weird way to describe what we're doing here. Uh, we are doing a tribute to Siskel and Ebert by reviewing not all the movies coming out every Friday, but let's say most of the movies coming out every Friday. Because this week, I think we're covering eight, and that included us watching a few more and deciding we have nothing to say there, so we'll move on. And if you want all those dirty deets, you can follow us both on Letterboxd, where we do all of our you know daily logging of movies that we watch so that's a little tease for you there that there's some bonus easter eggs for this episode which is perfectly fitting because we're talking about a movie that can be described as an entire easter egg in movie form and we're getting close to easter so i just love the vibes that are happening right now naturally uh we are talking about eight movies as i said super mario brothers is obviously the biggest widest release of the week and probably going to be one of the highest grossers of the year if not the highest grosser it's got like several quadrants hit in terms of it's a kids movie which does well it's a ip which does well it is a nintendo specific ip which adults and kids are obsessed with so there's a lot of reasons why it's going to do well i'm not going to go on a tangent and talk about every movie for an hour here we're going to keep going air a movie about michael jordan shoes we've got which is exactly what it sounds like. We've got Showing Up, an A24 movie from Kelly Reichardt, uh, uh, one of my favorite directors, a movie I love very much. We've got Paint, a movie I do not love very much. We've got Ride On, a new Jackie Chan movie. Uh, is it any good? I don't know. We'll talk about it. You're Killing Me, a new horror movie, which you'd think I would be positive on and Mark might be negative on, but you you would be wrong in that case if that's what you thought. And the last movie we're talking about is One True Loves. Um, I want to use this moment before go. Just really no dilly-dallying. I'm not even letting Mark speak. Mark! I'm just kidding. Please speak if you want. I'm just joking. Yo, <laughs> no, I, I like yeah, I like the idea of getting right to it. But I mean, it is, it's nice. We were talking like a couple weeks ago, like we had three wide releases. We have a good number of them. I mean, Mario, obviously, Air is getting a wide release. And it's a streaming service. And they're not even telling us when it's going to go to streaming. And it's just getting, you know, exclusive theatrical reached, window. We have reached a new era of streaming and theatrical stuff where the pivot is now happening, where these streamers are seeing the profit they're like uh, amazon also technically owns mgm right so creed yep. 3 was an amazon movie and that got a robust theatrical release made a shit ton of money is still making a shit ton of money but they did do the streaming thing already i don't know if you noticed that you can get Creed yeah. 3 already it's which is surprising. Yeah, that was I really pretty, thought yeah that was yeah but I mean, this one is gonna air is gonna go directly to Prime Video whenever they decide that's gonna happen. Um, that's right. But we don't know. We don't know, and that's nice not to know because it just means like people are gonna go out to the theater and see like an adult drama, and then we'll talk yeah, about the quality I'm, of it. But like, paint getting a wide release as much as <laughs> find out how that good right? that is. I'm worried yeah. about that one. That one seems to be coasting on the idea that it's a movie that it is not, I think. And yes, we'll talk about what correct. that means. I think yeah. everyone wrongly assumes what that movie is, including myself, until I sat down and watched it. And I was like, what? 
why is the why are they calling him that um and then it all comes you re- start to realize it's kind of a weirder movie than than not even as advertised because it wasn't advertised yeah. that way maybe it was in my mind it was sold as owen wilson is bob ross but we'll see if that's the case or not um so yeah it's just eight movies it's encouraging yeah. to have all these diverse eclectic movies out in the theaters for everybody to go see um yeah, it feels like the old days again, finally. And what's funny is it comes with a new Kelly Reichardt movie because infamously, Kelly Reichardt's previous movie kind of announced the end of the theatrical experience, at least from where I was at. Because First Cow so came that, out like was First right Cow before. the last movie? Yeah. I saw, I think First Cow is the second to last movie I screened before the pandemic actually shut down everything. So wow. it's kind of. It's I kind definitely of saw it theatrically. I had, I feel like cause the last movie I saw was Onward. The Pixar, the Pixar movie, uh, was the last theatrical thing I saw before COVID. I don't, yeah, I must have seen First Cow right around then. Uh, I'm glad Reichardt's back. I'm really excited to talk about that one. I'm excited to talk about Pipeline, which feels like a miracle that that movie is getting as wide a release as it is, considering yeah. like the content of it. And I think it's great. And I just think it's such an audacious, bold move to release it the way they are and i can't believe there's not like a fox news campaign against it at the moment but maybe they not yet <laughs> and they will eventually yeah maybe the the roger and me bump will take it up uh yes. all you know all the fox hosts presumably listen to the show uh anyway let's get right into it as i wasted not waste this was a, a great use this of five minutes this is good <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect time perfect not like 11 time. or 12 all right let's get right into it this is of course roger and me roger ebert and me I have to say all that for SEO purposes in case anyone's doing like a AI transcript of this. I have to say all the keywords. Movie reviews. We review every movie every week on the show. This is not the greatest show in the world, uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert. This is just a tribute, in the words of Jack Black, who is in Super Mario Brothers, the movie. What a transition. I really am earning my pay this week, which is zero dollars by the way uh here we go super mario brothers the movie the trailer now sure if you know who i am the word. wow uh, yay but there's one problem there's a human has a mustache just like you do you think i know every human being with a mustache wearing an identical outfit with a hat with a letter of his first name on it <laughs> Because I don't. Bowser is coming. Together, we are going to stop that monster. How? Look at us. We're adorable. Oh, I got this. No problem. Yes. Come on, Mario. Our big adventure begins now. Get it off. Get it off. Get it off. I don't want to go too hard on this movie only because I saw it surrounded by a bunch of children who were pretty excited to be seeing it. And not to say that was infectious or anything. And I was the experience and I thought it was good. I definitely didn't. And I don't think it's good, but there's a lot of people who are harping on it in ways that they like didn't harp on the Sonic movies for reasons. I don't understand why some adults claim that those movies are, good video game adaptations or they enjoy them it's total nostalgia bait i don't understand and nostalgia bait's a great word for what this movie's doing um it could be described as i understood that reference the movie it is just constantly throwing 
things you'll recognize at the screen for all different ages. The people, it is just kind of like a speed run through all these recognizable elements of Super Mario from Nintendo, the original system through 64, through the Switch. It's just... It looks fine. It has good animation that looks the part, right? Like, it looks like Mario and Luigi. It doesn't look like a knockoff version of it. It definitely is slavishly devoted to the uh, source material, which is for the 1993 movie that is, like, famously bad. So, I don't know. I'm trying to get around, like, why there's, like, I'm not enthusiastic about it, but I also don't feel like we have to be too mean to this movie that's for children. But it does, there is some laziness to what's going on in this movie. They did not care to give it a real story or a narrative other than what I'm saying, which is just like recognizable moments from the game portrayed in the movie in a way that isn't particularly cinematic. And I'm rambling. So, Mark, take it away. No, you're right, though. And I don't, I don't know exactly how to say it either, except to say like the story is really thin and not in the way of like we expect deep characters or a intricate plot i just mean like the story itself like when when you're playing a mario game the fun of it is not to be involved in bowser kidnapping the princess again it's not to be involved in like does mario have some uh imposter syndrome issues going on i don't care about any of that stuff the reason that you sit down and you play a mario game is you want to explore a bunch of new and imaginative and creative worlds and see all of the ways that the, the game developers have created those worlds, made them bright and shiny, changed everything up, made some of them dark and scary, all this stuff. You want to see all of that stuff when you're playing the game. And the impact of the movie is you skip over a lot of that because it is mostly focused on the plot. It's mostly focused on Mario and Luigi showing up in the um, Mario showing up in the Mushroom Kingdom, Luigi showing up somewhere else and getting kidnapped by yeah. Bowser, et cetera. Et cetera. Luigi being sidelined for the most of the movie, weirdly. Yeah, weirdly. Um, although, anyway, we'll get to that later. I, I did like. <laughs> there's one funny gag, kind of like sidelined next to Luigi that I enjoyed, but we'll okay. we'll get to that later. I think. Anyway, the story is just like it is just caught up like Mario trying to enlist Princess Peach, who's trying to enlist. Donkey Kong and the Kong army to fight against Bowser. And that is what the entire movie is. It's just one step to the next, one step to the next. You skip over all of the fun and imaginative and creative stuff that could be there. There's like a montage of them traveling across these different worlds. And I'm watching it thinking I would rather spend a bit more time in those worlds and see what the filmmakers could do with those worlds and what kind of action. Oh yeah. Like that montage. Where they do yeah. a brief stop at Yoshi Island for like two seconds. Yeah. And then, yep. they, right. yeah. Yeah. I would rather stay there for even just a few more minutes and get some kind of flavor of that instead of going like, no, 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 no. We need to follow the plot. We need to get to the plot. We need to have the characters do this and this and this. And you that's know, not you know what's, entertaining. <laughs> yeah. What's frustrating is I see, I saw a glimpse up top of what I thought the movie could be. And I was really excited for like half a second because after you're introduced to Mario and Luigi via like a commercial, which I feel like is clearly referencing the old movie and how that movie started, I think, which was like a commercial for them in Brooklyn doing uh, plumber stuff. I'm pretty sure it's similar something like that. Anyway, after they do their little intro and they like leave the house to go to wherever they're going, I believe it's actually the punch out pizzeria 
reference, of course. Everything's Again, a, I and I everything's a reference. We know, <laughs> yeah. we know all these things before you think like, oh no, those guys don't understand anything. Like, no, we play video games. We get these references. Yes, I we're both gamer guys things. for sure. Me too. I grew up with, I mean, I was too young. Like I'm, I'm only like 31 or whatever, but I had an NES as a hand-me-down from my older half-brother. So I also grew up with like the original Mario plus the Mario 64. So I, I love it all. I'm definitely should be the target market for the third. Like yes. the age, they, if they're, if they're aiming at a 30 something, it's me. Um, but like they leave the house in that scene and then they do like a little mini side scroll camera work visual just like doing like what the game is just like kind of moving along a path of side scrolling as the camera side scrolls i'm like oh that's a clever way to like um encapsulate the vibe of the game the visual style of the game in a way that actually makes you smile and go oh that's fun and then the movie doesn't really do anything else like that the entire movie that i can think of it really is just the rest of it's like here's a power up here's what a power up does why don't you eat the mushroom and come become big and it's like having video game elements presented that way in a movie doesn't make it's not fun like it's not it like there's there's a lost in translation element to that yeah it's like it, there's there are things like i don't know how many floating platforms exist in this movie but there are far too many floating platforms without any logic behind them all of that stuff with him doing the training montage like none of that stuff ever comes up again it's just because like yes you recognize all these elements right you recognize the platforms that he steps on and then they fall after a couple seconds you recognize the fireball spinning around right you remember all that stuff none of it ever comes into play again um and i just now i'm realizing the big fight with donkey kong that happens is supposed to be a smash brothers reference i and i did yes. not get that at all even though it clearly is now that i'm even just sitting here thinking about it because the movie goes through the platforming games it goes through clearly with with donkey kong the smash brothers thing it does an entire mario kart sequence that should be a lot more interesting than it is but it just feels it's so noisy too. Once it, once the action hits, you can't. You never get a sense. Like in that opening side scrolling scene, you never get a sense of what's actually happening. It's just throwing all this information at you. Like you know that he can hit the Koopas and they turn into a shell and he throws it back, right? And that just happens right. like in the middle of this big loud action sequence that you can't appreciate it because it's just like a throwaway gag. Um, the big showdown at the end is just him running through the mushroom kingdom, doing a lot of stunts. Like you, you notice like certain jumps or moves or something from the video games, but you never get a sense of the actual style and what is trying to be done in that action. It's just a bunch of references and it's really dull. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't explain it anymore. I really did want to have fun with this because I like these games i like this world i like the potential of what that world could be but it's not there and then on top of it the humor is really just undersold and it's it is like how we always talk about the marvel humor it is like pointing out that weird thing is weird isn't it haha that's the entire yeah sense of and humor there's that, that weird has. existential dark humor that they keep hitting that same joke over and over with that one character. i liked that was the one character i did like is the the, the, the glowy i think it's from mario galaxy i think that's yes. it's like a sprite from that locked up in a cage and having an existential crisis with a big smile on his face i did laugh at that a couple times because it's i mean that's clearly for dialogue. like the adults with their kids yes you know, like the uh, and like the kids laugh at it because it's like a high voice saying 
it's like funny anyway but like as an adult you're like jesus this is really dark and and they keep and going that's why there. i laughed at it because yeah. it is really yeah. really dark and stuff. it kept hammering on it and then like it brings it back at the end i feel like it just it keeps doing it i'm like okay it's really committed to this very dark bit um yeah i just i definitely didn't loathe it the way that i really fucking couldn't stand and will never watch if when sonic 3 inevitably comes out like i will probably tap out of it on the show because i'm just i'm done with those movies they're not for me i don't care about them and like i didn't hate this on in that way because this movie you know it couldn't be more devoted to like recreating the look and the feel of those games even if it doesn't give you anything else to go on and like the voice work even that like Again, like Mario, it's not like Mario's doing dialogue. In the games, if he has dialogue, it's just written and you scroll through it. He just says like, wahoo! Like he doesn't say anything. So it's weird to like, I don't know. I just, it's just not what I want from one of these movies. I don't need a movie where Mario just sounds like a guy and like Luigi sounds like Charlie Day and he's on a side quest. And like, if you have Jack Black, I get why you'd sideline the movie to do a very funny song about peach which i but like it's the only funny thing in the movie so they like throw it in again at the end to like make a point that like remember that one joke we had that made people laugh maybe that'll make you laugh again it just very clearly doesn't have a lot going on but like why i started the way i did when we talked about it it's because like who cares isn't that enough it did recreate the vibe of the game for like on the level of like a kid watching it is having a good enough time laughing at the very lame jokes uh, every time Mario says Mamma Mia in slow-mo or whatever, like a Zack Snyder slow-mo action shot or something. Like, I don't know. Part of me wants to be like, yeah, it's fine. It's a kid's movie and it delivers. But like the cynical part of me is like, it's a movie that is made with very little care and attention in terms of quality because they know asses will be in seats already and it, it's it's already grossing whatever it grossed 32 million dollars on day one i believe uh, on a wednesday for like 150 million dollar five day i believe is the prediction now um it's going to print money and like they just built super mario world at universal or wherever it is uh doesn't no, yeah it's at universal um and you know this movie you could just say it's it's an advertisement for the games it's an advertisement for the theme park it really is just like let's get to one world to the other so we can show everyone all this stuff and yeah so you could be cynical about it or you could be the opposite of cynical and say it's for kids it looks fine it's inoffensive it didn't change it like sonic offended me in terms of just being really really like just stupid and not funny and uh, I think Sonic 2 was like two hours long, which I cannot believe still. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know. A, this is a nice breezy, not too breezy, but it's like 90 minutes, which is enough. But I, I mean, yeah, it does feel like it goes on a lot longer than that just because it's not presenting any new ideas once it starts up. It's frustrating than that way. Yeah, it's just, it's just it doesn't have the energy that you'd expect or hope from like, a kids movie that like actually crosses over and adults like like these 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 directors directed Teen Titans go to the movies which is a movie oh, that people really like I didn't know that I didn't I didn't recognize their names but yeah I really like that one um, yeah so like can't... when you watch this back to back with that there's like a total mischievous energy and a style of referential to the material but respectful of it without be with kind of making fun of it but you know what I mean that movie has a totally different tone 
than what's um they're going for in Super Mario Brothers. And I just like I'm confused about like how they didn't translate some of like how do you do it in one place and not do it in the other? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't I don't understand that part of it either. You can't make this movie in a world where the Lego movie exists, where the Lego movie is clearly an advertisement for building blocks, and yet it is filled with so much creativity and so much humor and actually cares about its characters to an extent, even though they are just building blocks. You can't make this movie, which is just like, hey, you recognize this thing over and over and over again and hope that that's enough to carry the whole thing through. You can't do it in this world. I do have... You know what helps too is... I was just gonna say the music being like iconic and great music helps the movie go by faster too, especially because they're constantly, as we keep mentioning, referencing even in the music and the score is constantly referencing little bits of music from the game that you recognize in different ways and repurposing them. And again, it goes down easy, but you're not going to walk away being like, that was great. You're just going to walk away being like, that was a lot of movie. I'm a little tired and exhausted. I think David <laughs> David Sims at the Atlantic said it was like a just like eating a bunch of sugar all at once. It's just like the movie just like constantly feeding you candy. It's just like that. It just doesn't it's like an overwhelming but also underwhelming experience somehow. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of despite the fact that I'm very very reserved and not a fan of this one. I am kind of looking forward to hoping that maybe a sequel which clearly this is going to have will kind of pick <laughs> up that several. idea. I mean, it, it's going to have a sequel because it ends exactly as Godzilla 1998 ends if you stick around long enough. <laughs> That's Oh, I'll I just didn't say stick that around to that. I didn't oh, stick you around didn't? for yeah. the presumed so, end credit scenes because Marvel yeah. has uh, trained audiences now to stick around. Everybody yeah. stuck around except for me. I, I, I stuck <laughs> around again because it was only 92 so minutes. What is, so I stuck around the whole way through. It ends, it ends exactly as Godzilla 1998 does. That's all I'll say. <laughs> So wait, okay, hold one. on. Let me predict what happens. Bowser, um, a bunch of Bowser eggs open up in Madison Square Garden. Okay, no, but it does involve a dinosaur <laughs> egg. Okay, I was pretty close. <laughs> Opening um, up, yeah, you're pretty close. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's just, I'm hoping, yeah. I do hope a sequel will kind of just do all the stuff that this one could have done because it's right there. But they'll actually like think, oh, maybe we should have these characters go on an adventure to a bunch of weird worlds and meet a bunch of weird characters. Because that's what all the games were, and that's what the games are, and that's what the games are supposed to be. Um, and yeah, just trying to replicate the action of a video game in a movie is really not 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 a good idea because they're two completely different mediums. Yeah, um, it's like a fundamental yeah, disconnect, work. especially in that one scene you mentioned where it's just like, okay, now we're just going to do a track like a mario course and you have to just watch yeah. him do it and it has no real meaning yeah it's just a bummer man it perfectly nice to look at in that it's computer animated way like i usually don't like computer animation and i still don't love it but like this movie didn't look as bad as even illuminations other movies like illumination look pretty bad and have really weird character designs and this looked like the characters that i know so like I have to give props for that. And it is faint praise. I'm just damning it with. Uh, I'm, we're ultimately the same place, Mark. I think we're both at two Mario Brothers yeah. out of four. And Correct. If the four Mario Brothers are Mario, Luigi, uh, Mario, Luigi, Wario, and Waluigi, I guess. are the Yes, I think that would probably four be Mario it, but... Brothers. And we're rating it out of... Um... What's funny is we're probably not going to get them until like Super Mario Brothers, the movie five. Yeah, like the seventh one or something. Yeah. What What do you think the title would be for a sequel? I'm going with 
the the Super Mario Brothers movie Deluxe. That's my. I, that's what that would be nice. Um, I'm hoping there's a movie tie-in game that's called the the Super Mario Brothers movie game. That's what I'm hoping <laughs> for. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, honestly. I would I would play it. I mean, I I have a Switch, and I the only games I have on it are probably every Mario platformer, every <laughs> Mario sports mario party both of those i just like i'll play them all and super mario maker is great uh yeah i love mario this movie it's not like i expected anything from this movie to be clear that's why it's two instead of like a a one or something yeah it's not uh, it's not awful it's not i don't know like you're right there are a lot of people who are really hating on it and i don't quite get that because even just even just aesthetically it's it's nice to look at it's not you know, it's it's not offensive in that way. It's not as ugly as the live action one from '93. To be sure, yeah. it's not ugly at all. It looks really good. Um, it's inoffensive, yeah, it's, but it just it lacks any sort of anything to make me to uh, recommend it to anybody who doesn't have children. Like, if you have children and they're excited about it, it's not going to kill you. Like, there are there are worse kids movies that you've had to endure. So that's my uh, damning with faint yeah. praise. For Super Mario Brothers, um, is I want to mention this. Did you notice that this is the third movie this year to use the song "Holding Out for a Hero"? I did. So it's this Shazam uh, and oh, what's the last one? Wait, is it? It's is another it the video one we're game. Talking about oh. next? No, no, it's Tetris. Um, Tetris. But you know what? It right. very well could. It very well could also be an air, and I just don't remember. It very well, it's completely. Yeah. It very well could be. Um, so let's talk about Air now, starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, directed by Ben Affleck, uh, a Ben Affleck film. Here you go, Air. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. Converse. NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one to compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I'll cut the trailer a little early so you don't know what this movie's about, but I think you probably do. Mark, what is this movie about? So this is about uh, Nike. Um, it is almost exclusively about Nike. Um, and it's specifically about Nike trying to court Michael Jordan to become a sponsor for their new line of basketball shoes that they haven't made yet. But that the whole plan is they're going to create an entire line of shoes based around Michael Jordan on the hope that he is going to be as great a basketball player as Matt Damon's character suspects he's going to be. Um this is maybe I think it's the third movie, like in even a couple of weeks, because we had two last week um, that are about business and business operations and business negotiations and how great capitalism and business is. Um, and I think this is the best of those three for sure. Yes, I um, agree. And the the key reason is I believe that this one actually focuses on the human element of business more than those other those other two movies, Tetris and uh, Spinning Gold, did. Um, this one actually has characters that you kind of get to know over the course of it. It has um, Matt Damon playing a very unlikely protagonist. I think he's a guy 
just like an ordinary guy. He's a loner. He lives all by himself. He has like a gambling addiction, essentially. He doesn't have anything else going on in his life except basketball. He loves basketball and he wants everyone else to love basketball as much as he does. And so when he's like, he figures out this thing with Michael Jordan as a freshman winning the NCAA championship with a single shot. And he realizes like the entire play was drawn up around Jordan, who was a, you know, a true freshman, I believe at the time. And he recognized like, Oh, if the coach and all the other players realize he's that talented at that age on that stage, he's going to do great things. And so he decides to make the entire Nike campaign for getting a sponsorship revolving around Jordan. Um, and that's the story. I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to tell if we should say exactly what happens in the movie. I think we all know because, you know, Air Jordans have been part of the cultural conversation for almost 40 years now. Yeah. So, I mean, you know how it's going to end. What I did, what I really like though, is that it is about these people. So you have Damon playing Sonny Vaccaro, who's, you know, obsessed with basketball and wants to do this. Jason Bateman's really good playing this like marketing guy at Nike who's skeptical um, about this, about the decision and has, you know, some personal life issues going on at home that come up. Um, Affleck who directed, and he also plays Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike, who is also skeptical of the whole thing. Um, uh, Chris Messina is really funny as Jordan's agent who's, you know, kind of ripped out of, the entourage playbook of what an agent looks like, but it's still a funny part. Um, yeah. Viola Davis is great as Jordan's mother. I was, I can't, I, you know, I have a really, he's like distractingly good in this movie. I would say like who on a higher echelon than everybody else. I thought she was great. Who? Yeah. Oh, Viola Davis. Yes, she yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, she is. Well, she is playing like she's playing like just a normal person. She's playing a mother who cares about her son and knows her son is, you know, fantastic and believes in him. And everyone else is just sort of, you know, playing the business. Well, part. she feels like an yeah, actual re- real human being. That's the reason she resonates so much, Mark, is yeah. because she's the only real underdog in this movie, which is supposed to be. It has the form yep. of a underdog sports movie. And yet there's n- and there's no underdogs in it for the most part except for Viola Davis really so like it's this weird conundrum of a movie i feel like because it's like a feel good movie but like what do you you have to step back and go okay what am i rooting for i'm literally rooting for uh a really successful company to be to become like a really really successful company it's like i, I hope you know young corporations around the world watch this movie so they could dream big and ex- you know exploit exploit child labor abroad while paying about a couple lines of lip service dialogue to it to acknowledge that fact uh but as long as your movie ends with a note that the billionaire donated a couple billion to charity it'll all go down smooth i i, I say it all and i joke and all that stuff but like the movie did work for me too it just didn't work for me on the level that there are some people I see heralding this as like they're the best movie of the year type of stuff. And like, it's going to be Oscar nominated type of stuff. And sure. It actually might be because you never know what these type of things Argo one best picture. You never know. But like, I'm more of like a very, like it could have been a two and a half, but it's a three for me where like, I did like it, but I did find it a little lacking. It just is like inherently I'm watching a movie with the lowest of stakes. I know the stakes are high for the characters in the movie, 
But like for a viewer, you're like, okay, so what happens if Matt Damon is not successful here? A very successful middle-aged white guy still who has still has a job. Like it just doesn't have these incredible stakes or anything, but it is engaging and it is entertaining. And it's just something about it. Like it was a little flatly directed. I know a lot of people are saying it looks like it's shot like a commercial and maybe that's on purpose, but like it does kind of look like it's shot like a commercial. Um, it features a lot of needle drops, a lot of music. It has actually the most interesting thread in the movie for me is that it keeps using iconic bits of s- score from other movies. And the thread that I realized eventually was that all the movies that it's referencing are movies that came out here that the movie is set. So like they use the Pino Dinaggio score from Brian De Palma's body double during the telescope scene which is one of my favorite bits ever of movie music. That music is used for the shoe reveal in air. So like, and there's moments of this movie where I was like giddy for like silly reasons like that. Um, But in terms of like the actual movie, I just, I, I, do you understand the excitement some people have for this? Cause like, I feel this, I think we feel the same way. I don't, you know what it is? You know what it is? I was, you know what it is? Yeah. You know what I really think it is? I think it's really good at tapping into nostalgia on a level that's deeper than just saying, hey, you recognize that piece of music and you recognize, you know, going back to the Mario Brothers movie, which is all about tapping into nostalgia or your good feelings for something that you know, um, a corporate product that you know really well. This movie goes deeper than that. And I think the key to it is the fact, the way that Michael Jordan is presented in this movie, where you never see him. You never see his face. You only see yeah. the back of his head. I think he has like the, I think there's one word that he speaks over a phone at one point, but there is, and I will, this is where it really got me. And I, I'm wondering how much it got you as a fellow, you know, Chicagoan, uh, at yeah. least, you know, legacy wise, but that montage when Damon's oh, character yeah. is going through the whole, the whole projection of what Michael Jordan's career is going to look like and his personal struggles and his professional struggles and how he's going to, that got to me in a way that I think was a, See, a little bit deeper than just admiring the hell out of Michael Jordan for the, my entire life. I, ag- I agree with you. And that sequence did work for me, but that kind of speaks to why I'm so kind of soft on it overall, which it just has that, mo- that like movie cheat code thing when you're writing a movie, a period piece where like we all know the story already. So it it does this a lot, I, I would say. The screenplay does a lot of that stuff where it's like, here's how it's going to go. And then they have the privilege of knowing the future as a screenwriter. And then they write dialogue like that or like a scene like that. And I agree that scene did work. But like the repeated nature of that type of stuff, I think, is what kept me from being like, yeah, I thought that movie was great. I think it's enormously entertaining. Um, I thought, it was, but I, you know, if I never saw it again, I'd probably be okay. It's one of those. It's like, it's like a Saturday afternoon on cable movie. And I think that's fine. I like, I think it's great that there's one of those in theaters and I hope people go see it. I did think it played well with the crowd. Um, it's just, there's something weird about like taking, I just can't wrap my head around like, okay, who am I rooting for here? The Nike corporation. Okay, cool. Um, it's just there's yeah there's something inherently off about that to me, but it didn't ruin the movie. I'm still giving it a three uh, pairs of shoes out of four here. Um, <laughs> very comp. The best number of pairs yeah. of shoes to uh, have. 
<laughs> yes, it is. I have three pairs of shoes. They're I got dress shoes. I got tennis shoes and and running shoes or whatever. Yeah. You got to differentiate your tennis and your running shoes, I guess. Um, I liked it. I wish I loved it. I love Ben Affleck. I think he's a very endearing guy. I think he's a. I think he is a pretty good director. But like this movie didn't really convince me. It didn't help convince me of that. I just think his other movies. He has convinced me of that. I think Gone Baby Gone is his best still, his first, uh, his first and best. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of why I'm like, but still giving it, clearly I like it enough to give it a three. I, a three out of four is like the yeah. perfect recommendation, but like yeah. three out of four spans so much thought. It does. So many types of movies to me. Like it could be a movie that you really wanted to love and just barely made it over two and a half, or it could be a movie that you almost gave four stars, but there's reasons you didn't. Like, it's definitely on the lower end of the three tier for me, but yeah, it's just you're. It's really the treating of a corporation as an underdog that makes it a little iffy. But the underdog sports movie formula is deployed here in a way that works, despite the fact that it's like, what am I calling these movies? Exterior shots of office building movies. Um, it does At have least the office more building grace. here looks really pretty. It does because <laughs> it's I, up I don't against know, like. It's you know it's in the forest or the mountain in the background. Yeah. It looks really nice, at least. It does look nice. Um, uh, yeah, three stars. What do you, I get you think? It. Yeah, I have. I definitely have reservations about. Yes, it is about a multi-million-dollar company becoming a multi-billion-dollar company, and that's your alleged underdog story. I do have reservations about that. For me, I think it is worth watching and entertaining because it is about business negotiations seen from the human angle of business. I think the performances are really good across the board. And I think it taps into this idea of legend and legacy and nostalgia in ways that are deeper than just, Hey, do you remember that? It does get you oh, yeah. right in your I heart. I mean, it really does. I mean, we talked about with... it. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we talked about, about just a little bit about it last week about the presentation of uh, James Jordan, his his father, Michael Jordan's oh, yeah. father, that he shows up. And if you know Michael Jordan's story, you know how that story is going to end. And as soon as he shows up, you know, some of you are, you know, some people are going to have like this emotional reaction. I did. I was so happy to see him there on screen smiling and everything, but I know how this is going to turn out. And so when that comes up in that montage, it really hit me. And I think it is again because of the focus on the human element that is so key to why this movie works um and that's i i, I think that's it I, I think it's as simple as that that it just cares about its characters and how they talk and what they want and how they're going to go about getting it that it makes it more involving than just how are we going to turn a profit or what's this contract going to say um yeah. yeah i think that's where i'm at with it there's something refreshing about the way it engages, as I joked earlier, with like the idea that it's an anti-capitalist movie about capitalism. Like some characters spout some stuff, but like the 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 speech Jason Bateman gives about his daughter and how she only he thinks she only loves him because he brings her Nikes every week, and like the way that the movie presents that, it like the movie doesn't pass judgment on that in a way where it's like capitalism bad. It just kind of is sweet and it's there. And it's like, that felt real to me. I'm like, yeah, that's how ingrained capitalism is a, is into our lives. We're like, we're relating to our children via it. And I think the movie actually is smarter about the capitalism stuff than even I'm leading on when I'm making fun of it. I do think it's engaging with those ideas. Um, 
in interesting ways enough to make it to take it over the line for me and make it a three out of four experience um yeah and all those really cool scores help too it, it looks yeah. cool uh yeah three out of four for cool. air definitely go see it uh it's one of those movies where i'm like i immediately recommended it to my parents and i think my parents will love it of it but it also it's like that i don't mean that to be a diss like i think I, we liked it too so i think it's yep. a not quite a four quadrant thing or something, but a lot of people will like it. And even if you think like what boardroom shoe, the movie, I don't really care about that. Um, it does. It does work. It's, it's pretty good. Um, all right. Now here's another movie that works. How to blow up a pipeline. Hey everyone. Welcome back to boom talk today. Teaching myself to make homemade blasting cap. If this works, it'll be step one, making our own improvised explosive. Might be headed to Texas for the winter. What's in Texas? It's a project. Project. Try to stop the pipeline from being built on my property. Poisons the air, water. Damn, this place is sick. You guys cooking meth in here? You ready to start working? We have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big. Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. Blow up a pipeline. Uh, I saw this movie a while ago at a screening, and I'm thankful I was able to rewatch it. Uh, I didn't know if it would hold up a second time, and it absolutely did. And I think that's because, yes, this movie is like a radical act of provocation, but it it is that in the form of a heist thriller. And it is propulsive and tense as hell, like the best of them. And it's got like this underdog outsider energy and propulsiveness and score that reminded me of Sorcerer, which is why I bring it up. It reminded me of First Reformed in terms of like, trying to make a statement about our ecological crisis and how like what can you do it's like about how the young generation feels led astray by the adults in the room and the government and how they've let us get here and like politic and ain't gonna work we got to take action and the movie makes that case a, a heist thriller and i just like really appreciate that this movie exists it's based on a nonfiction like manifesto by a guy who wrote this thing called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which you can download online. It, it was for free for a while. I don't know if it still is. But it basically, it doesn't actually tell you how to blow up a pipeline. Like, buy this, do that. That was actually, the filmmakers here had to talk to a counterterrorism expert to get that information. But the How to Blow Up a Pipeline book is basically talking about how it is imperative to do acts of, like aggressive acts, like blowing up bureaucracy won't work we're at the point where it's too late we have to do these things it's it's like you're you have a sense of duty to do it like that's the argument of the book and i think it fucking translates to the movie and i just think it's amazing that it exists i'm just kind of blown away that a movie so political overtly that has a point of view that is didactic i think but it's by didactic that didactic by design so it goes I, I i don't mind that the characters you could argue are like thin sketches with motivations that would radicalize someone to against the environment like my mom the environment killed my mom the environment's killing me 
I'm a libertarian who doesn't like property or whatever. Uh, like there's, I understand the criticism. I, I'm just basically responding to criticism I've read. And I, I, I hear that, but the movie, that's what it is. It's like trying to be a, a recruitment tool, I think, to like Gen Z, to like, wake up, man, if you guys want the future for yourselves. And I think it's really bold that it exists. And I don't know your politics, Mark, but I feel like this movie could I mean, offend people, but I think it's interesting. It's gonna- it's going to offend. I think it's going to offend the right people for sure. Yes. Uh, and people yes. on the right for definite. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm of, okay. So here's where I'm at with it. What I like about it is that it is very clearly, very clearly a political statement. I don't know if it goes as far as you do. of like a recruitment tool. I think there are some um, things at the end during the credits that kind of suggest that like, there is a you know a, another way of thinking about the consequences of these actions that maybe right. the characters be didn't clear, quite taken. Yeah, it's the movie it's, makes I, it like seem very hard to do this. So I don't think it's recruitment tool oh, in that way of yeah. like, oh man, this looks very hard. I don't, I do not want to do that. Maybe it's an anti-recruitment tool in that way. But go on. But what I what I admire about it is that it does take a very very strong position and it makes a case very convincingly by way of just telling the stories of these characters who yes are thinly drawn out but that's that's okay because it is mainly a heist thriller and then also yes turning it into like a race against the clock thriller with a lot of elements of things that could go wrong in so many ways and you watch that unfold that you never stop you never ever stop and question like it's called how to blow up a pipeline it's not called should we blow, blow up a pipeline it's not that there's like like casual debates about like how they got to this point and could it have oh, gone yeah. another way? I love and that what scene I had, where they talk about I, the Boston Tea Party. Weren't they terrorists? And like MLK was on an FBI watch list. Now he's an American hero. There's great conversations about yep. how radical action is almost always the cause of huge social change in the country. But history gets told by diff- you know the powerful people. Stuff gets buried. Because people don't, you know, the movie makes a very strong argument that, like, this is the right way to handle it. Trust me, history bears it out. And, like, I appreciate that, like, those conversations are in there. Yeah. And so that's where, I, that's where I'm at with it. I like it as a overtly political movie that doesn't entirely feel like a political movie. Um, and I think it makes, it, it makes its case strongly um, to a point that I'm okay. I think it's okay to actually, like, talk about it in terms of not should people go out and do it. Right. But you know what? This is a safe environment where you're just sitting and watching a movie about kids and young people and adults trying to do this thing. Um, and if if we're going to have a conversation about the way the environment is going and the tactics that are being used to try to fix it uh, or to stop the damage that's being done, I think that this environment of the safety of a political thriller is a good place to start. And maybe it will get those conversations going about how things are going and what's not happening and what needs to be done because there are generations upon generations right now growing up believing that the world is going to end because probably will <laughs> uh, very soon <laughs> to it and on, on the timeline on the scale of the universe is going to end really soon probably <laughs> because of what we're doing to the planet uh, and we need to start having those conversations about what's going to happen when those generations realize that um, everybody else is messed up really badly because they already are realizing that um, Did, and, didn't um, it remind yeah, you good... of another movie we covered that 
themes, but kind of fell on its face when it did it. A little film called Children of the Corn, 2023. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's very much like that. This is this is what that Children of the Corn movie could have been, I guess, in a way, except with a yes. giant corn monster <laughs> instead of explosives. Instead of terrorism or whatever. It's cool to see the climate crisis make its way into movies in this way. Like, obviously... There's tons of movies about this stuff, including Kelly Reichardt, who we'll talk about in a second, did a movie called Night Moves, which is very similar to this movie. Very, in terms of very like, good. And also about a different angle of that, too, I think. But yeah, anyway. it is a different angle. Um, there's a movie called The East that is OK. That is about similar, like a heist movie, environmental thriller thing. Um, yeah, I really I really like this movie. I really like Daniel Goldhaber's um, previous film, Cam. I'm excited that he's doing the Faces of Death reboot next. That's his next project. He's a friend of the New Flesh podcast. He's been on a couple times and he will be on again. So it's always, I have to say, I wanted to say that to be honest. I'm not like good friend Lee. Um, so just, it, it's nice when people you know make movies that aren't horrible. So you don't have to lie or not review them. So I'm, I'm disclosing that I know the guy, but I'm, I'm very, I, I would be honest with you guys, I promise. I did really like this movie. I'm not rating it four out of four even. I'm giving it a three out of four. I think it's um, a very strong movie that does exactly what it says on the tin in a way that you probably weren't expecting. I love that it just hits the ground running, right? The movie just mm-hmm. starts and that score yeah. is is pounding. It is really good. It is like right up there with some of the most engaging heist thrillers. Um, I really had a good time. I really like that the jadedness of a generation that um, you know is trying to take political action is trying to fight for divestment from, fi- from fossil fuels and is just like coming up against a wall like no that's not going to do anything we have to fucking blow up something I, I've read the history books I know how change happens and it's just really interesting to watch um, it's a great movie rare to see a non-fiction manifesto um, become a a, a a movie it just it's a unique situation and i really think it's quite good i hope people go see it i believe it's in theaters for a week but uh via neon and then i think it's coming to vod next week if you're interested in renting it but definitely go see it in a the theater if you can it's shot on i believe it's shot on 16 millimeter and it looks you know nice and grainy on in a theater all right let's talk about kelly reichardt director of night moves a similar movie to hot of low pipeline her new movie is called showing up. I'm going to be reserved with my praise. I, I won't be actually, but I will. Spe- <laughs> I will be clear that I think it's a movie specifically tailor made for for me and people like me. And I don't think everyone's going to like this movie. I think it's very. It's so low key and like ins- inconsequential. Like not a lot happens, but I would argue so much happens. And it's just a great movie about art and the creative process and artists and stuff. I loved it. I watched it twice as well. Here is Showing Up by Kelly Reichert. You're Lizzie, right? I can't figure out what class this is, but I really want to join it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do without hot water. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know. You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. Hey, give me a push. You should make more like this. 
I'm enjoying my retirement. <laughs> I get up. I love this or that. Before you know it, it's time to watch TV again. That sounds terrible. All right, Mark, tell me about showing up. Um, man, it's hard to talk about showing up because I not know, a lot happens. And that's one of the things I really like about it. Um, yes, it is do. so low key and low stakes. Um, Michelle Williams plays this artist who is working at a um, uh, an art college in, I believe it's in Oregon, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And her mother like runs the school, so she has like this cushy desk job. It's and then extremely in her... Portland, I would argue, even. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably correct. Um, so she just, you know, in her downtime, then she is also a working artist. She's a sculptor. She's trying to prepare these pieces for a gallery showing that she's going to have like in uh, a, like a week's time or so. And she's trying to get them ready while she's uh, juggling, uh, getting the pieces ready and doing her cushy job and kind of wandering around and not doing much of anything apparently. And, um, you know, you want to talk about relatability. I related to this character quite a bit too. I wonder too, if we man. related to her on the same level. And I wonder how many people are going to be honest enough with themselves to say like, yeah, um, that is kind of, how I am, or that's kind of where we are in general as I think a society because yeah, is it, aren't we always way too busy to be doing the stuff that we want to do? Um, or the yeah, stuff that we I mean, as, did you really, uh, <laughs> God, the like specific, I know exactly how your anxieties related to this movie. I'm sure her version, her, her life is her trying to do her little artworks, but she keeps having things get in the way. And specifically she keeps having to like help, people and help others with other stuff because she's a nice person as we often all are um yeah uh that re reminds me of how i'm trying to cram in 14 movies a week while i'm trying to do mm -hmm. my actual job um, Correct. and trying to yeah. find the time to to watch those screeners but also to find time to sit and talk with mark about them so like correct mark yes that is exactly how it hit me but let me tell you how specifically and perfectly this first time I saw this movie, the circumstances were I watched it at New York Film Festival while taking a sick day at my actual job so I could go watch this movie at a film festival and pursue my little creative project of writing and talking about movies. So I uh, this is an instant four star rave, five stars out of five if there is five for me because it just got me hook, line and sinker. It's a movie about creative people uh specific it's a movie about uh i think it's specifically about creative imposter syndrome insecure com constantly comparing themselves to those around them who whose circumstances are entirely different so it's unfair to do so but you still fucking do it and the second time i really clued into those really small details like how um michelle lizzie's art literally takes up less space than joe's art in the world and I'm just like, God damn, that is Kelly Reichert writing for herself and talking about her work and how it's smaller than other works. I'm getting like goosebumps talking about this. I love a movie that is very clearly a personal, just like kind of like this woman's kind of at. It's kind of like uh, it feels like I'm kind of had enough of movies for a minute. Let me make a really personal down to earth movie about the creative psych myself up and get myself more excited about art again. That's what this movie felt like to me. And I connected with it on such a deep level that even though it's a movie where you're watching a woman just constantly get sidetracked from her very, again, a very small thing of just trying to create her art for her art show. 
and she's constantly derailed and she has a pigeon she has to take care of yeah um, we didn't even get to the pigeon which is like you know i talk about how low stakes and low-key the story is like the pigeon is the big plot point in this thing that her cat attacks a pigeon in the bathroom and she decides she she drops it out the window um and then her neighbor joe played by hung chow grabs the pigeon and says hey can you take care of this pigeon and i was i was so so amused by all that and when you think about it on a deeper level like all this character is is like all of these things are crises for her and the big one is the pigeon and how much of that is technically of her own making it's a nice little piece of symbolism yep. that's a nice little joke too about the character. i mean i really exactly. like how i really like how this how lizzie is both entirely sympathetic and also a bit of a bore and also a little a little prickly a little prickly critical of yeah 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 i like that it lets her be just who she is and you get to understand her in such a degree by the end of it i really like that it's such a good performance it's eons i don't want to be mean to her fableman's performance but i think it's such. i don't either but you but yeah Yeah. you see what she's so capable of when she is in this in this um, um this hushed um internalized way versus what's going on in the fablemans which i i also just didn't like that performance that specific type of like portland artist that she embodies it's just like i know this person i live in brooklyn i see them all over the place like i know this woman i've seen her walking around and like there's really unique rhythm to the editing and the camera work it's got a the only movie in the world i think that has a credit that reads flute by andre benjamin which is Andre 3000 from Outcast, who's in the movie. Who's now a little character. And I think that's in the opening credits, too, on top of it. It's, yes, I think it's in the opening credits. Right. And then the movie I... actually ends with, it starts with and ends with the flute uh, by him, which was just literally them recording him playing the flute on set, is what she said. And she asked him to do it after a shoot for hours, and they got a ton of, ton of uh, music. Anyway, um. I forgot what I was talking about because I got distracted by. Um, yeah, I don't either. I'm sorry. Andre I Benjamin, you which is great. Yeah. No, uh, I just I love this movie. I love the performance. Um, she's such. Yeah, it's such a quirky per- uh, person, and she feels lived in. Obvious echoes of Inside Lewin Davis for me for this movie, which is another one of my favorite movies of all time. Also about about a lonely artist who isn't seen by the world, and it also has symbolism where he's. Uh, he's the cat in that movie. Lewin is the cat is the line. And I would say Lizzie is the pigeon in this movie, obviously. But like the movie has so much more than like the short story symbolism of her being a pigeon. Like the pigeon actually works its way into the movie and becomes like a part of a big set piece at the end. And again, it's all very small stakes. But that movie, I would say that movie really packed an impact for me, the symbolism of the ending. And um it's just a movie that's celebrating art and the weird little artists and their weird little projects that they make and how meaningful it is when someone says to you, hey, I really like that. I really like that little art you did. I think it's cool that it was in the kiln for longer than it's supposed to be. I think it looks great. Like, And just how we're all craving that modicum of fucking respect from anybody around us and in our fields, whatever it is. I think it's just a brilliant but very understated movie that most people will think nothing of. It was a boring little movie about nothing. Like I really, I wouldn't recommend like my parents see this. I wouldn't recommend, (laughs) I don't know who to recommend it to, but like, it's a very small movie, but it's very lovely and it's very kind and it's meditative. And um, another thing I related to 
which I guess was kind of what we were talking about, but like specifically, it even comes up later about the kiln. Just like she's just craving control the whole time, and she doesn't just can't get it. Simply cannot get it, and she has to just. I think what's the advice? You just have to like give it, not give in, but I forget what the actual line is. I wrote it down though. Uh, you've got to own it. You don't. You just have to own it and own the imperfections i just love that like everything in this movie could be conceived as a metaphor even like the cheese being eaten at her at her uh at her show um i love this movie so much um what keeps it from being that what keeps you from feeling the way oh, I, I don't about it because you really don't know i yeah i did i related to it i i enjoyed it as a nice little character piece um and that's about it i just you know it didn't it didn't hit me on that level intellectually or emotionally that it did for you. And that's, ba- that's basically it. I did enjoy it. I would definitely recommend it to anybody who likes Rikard's films, anybody who does like a nice little character piece where you're going to come away, understanding who this person is a lot more at the end than you did at the beginning. And, you know, actually seeing the person in their full, you know, the, the admirable qualities of this character and also the less admirable qualities of her. Um, but you do understand, like we didn't even talk about all this stuff with the family. I don't want to get into it too much because we've been talking about it for a bit, but yeah, you have, you understand the dynamics of that familial relationship too, by the end. And you kind of get how she ends up this way based on the relationship she's has with her mother and her uh, father and her brother. It's just, just really yep. nice details and all that stuff. And it it's is so, so lived quiet. in. It's like so yeah. lived in. The characters feel so real. It takes the world seriously. It takes the artistic, uh, everyone's artistic sensibility seriously. At the same time, it's a pretty funny comedy if you're looking, you know, if you're into this type of thing. I thought it was, yeah. there's some good, like comedy via like really funny cuts even. Like it's, it's a really, it's a really well done movie. If yeah. you're in the tank for Rikert, I think you're in for a treat. If you're not in the tank for Rikert, you just don't know her yet. I think it's an interesting, I just, I'm fascinated by what someone who, you know, doesn't have a relationship with Kelly Reichert would think of this movie or if they would care about it at all. But I really do think it's like a specific type of person type of movie where like if you are a person who works in a creative field and feels insecure or has ever felt insecure about it, I think this movie will speak to you on a level that is maybe concerning. But uh, <laughs> but it's all good. The movie is so it's not like anything bad happens. It's all like I would say it ends in a nice place and it's like yeah. thoughtful in, in good ways, but also it's just about the joy of of doing art for the sake of it, even if you're literally doing administrative work nine, seven days a week so you can fund yourself doing it. And I just appreciated it so much. I found it so deep and profound in such a small little package that you would not think anything of. Um, really, wow. Really glad we got to talk about this movie. Nice. I'm really yeah, glad I was I'm- able to watch it again. Um it just makes me not that I'm like a, any artist or anything, but this if uh, you know creative outlets. I was doing New York comedy scene for a while, kind of pivoted fully into just leaning into my love for movies. I've been reviewing movies for a decade or longer now, actually, but like have fully leaned into that. I'm doing this podcast now, so this is my creative outlet. So like, it's nice. It's like it's. I think anyone who's doing something that they basically, how do I describe it? Creative pursuit for no money. <laughs> You're doing it because you like doing it, not because you're getting paid. Because trust me, I'm paying to put this shit out on the internet. Uh, I'm not getting paid to do it. So, yeah, really powerful, powerful stuff. Um, But yeah, just making sure everyone knows it's pretty light fare. Let's move on to a movie that is similarly light, but 
just confounding in almost every fucking way. I have no idea how we're going to even talk about this. Uh, Paint, starring Owen Wilson as not Bob Ross. Our goal is pretty simple. I want to help you get what's in here and just splash it onto there. Don't worry. It's not rocket science. It's harder. Thanks for going to a special place with me. Carl. Carl. Cut it. That tree is probably too tall. Brace yourself. You are going to get some calls from that. Mr. Nargle, it is an honor to meet you, sir. Wait, what's going on? Hi, friends, and welcome to Paint with Ambrosia. It takes paint to a whole new place. And it's been a lot of places. Good night, everyone. This was such a strange experience watching this movie. I... It feels like a funnier die sketch stretched out to feature length. It does not really justify its existence. I'm still quite confused about what I'm supposed to get out of this. It's very clearly a 10-year-old script that was dusted off and maybe rewritten with some weird... I don't know if the, the, the Me Too elements were new or if that was always a part of it. But it probably was always a part of it. Because isn't this whole movie... Isn't the joke, Mark? Wouldn't it be funny if Bob Ross had sex with women and was like a Lothario. Like that's well, kind of the idea, right? I think, I think it's actually, isn't it's funnier if Bob Ross appears to be having sex with a lot of women, but actually doesn't have sex with a lot of women. He just hangs out with them and hangs up pictures in their houses. Cause that's what the actual yeah. joke of the movie is. Right. I, I'm yeah, not imagining that. Right. Yeah. That's I feel part of it. <laughs> it is so yeah, there. Okay. This movie is essentially just like, isn't it? really funny that owen wilson has a perm and he looks like he's from the 1970s and he's talking in very hushed tones about clouds and trees like bob ross did and like we all know bob ross did because you know all those reruns play on pbs and they ended up on netflix and a bunch of internet jokes got made about him we all know about that stuff and that's that's like the joke that's the whole joke of the movie is that this guy is supposed to be bob ross and i guess that's funny and that's it. It doesn't know what to do with this guy. I don't. Well, I, you it brought up the me thing too. to do. It puts it gets his perm stuck in a in a car door or something at one oh, point. No, yeah, there's funny. like a there's like a, a, a dial up on the top yeah. of his van. Um, I don't I don't get the joke. I really don't get the joke because it does feel at the beginning like a little bit Austin Powersy, like he is a man stuck in a different time because yes. this does take place in the modern day. There are references to modern day things in this yes. movie and nobody thinks that's weird. All at the, all. In, all the anachronisms I think are supposed to be funny and it just makes the movie so confusing. It really, really makes it confusing. I, I can I could not get past the fact that the movie just seems to think this character looking at and behaving like Bob Ross and not, quite being a horn dog but being confused for a horn dog and i don't i know like you just brought it up and a lot of other people are bringing up like the me too angle but i didn't even i don't think that's developed in any way either because it's just like he has an he has a relationship with um the character played by michaela watkins yeah um, and that ends badly because he's too famous and then he spends the rest of the movie like having all these women fawn on him because he's bob ross type guy i don't i don't i didn't see that angle either i didn't it didn't make any sense none of this makes any sense as comedy or as a story and i i 
it's impenetrable. I, it really, I really think, is. I think maybe like the whole joke is just supposed to be. Isn't it funny that we did a Bob Ross movie without getting the rights to do it? Like, it seems like we're like Carl Nargle, but you all know who it is. And I'm like, it's not even funny on that level because you're not really doing anything with it. It's just kind of mean spirited. If if it's about Bob Ross, you're just like, if that's kinda, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels weird. And yeah, there's no real gags. The plot is just confusing and then it becomes yeah like a love triangle but like there's no chemistry and you can't really tell if it's like i just couldn't tell if it's impossible to distinguish what's a joke and what's drama in this movie because it's all it's all so confused um yeah it's completely unfunny i just was constantly wondering what was going on there's a running joke where he has a megaphone in his car because he whispers all the time i guess yeah so he has a megaphone um I think it was trying to comment on sexism with power dynamics, but it just comes off as kind of sexist and weird. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't work either because then you're talking like the, the the painter who replaces him is a woman and doing like the same things that he's doing apparently. And I don't get what the joke is there either. Or the commentary on that yeah. is either. I did. Yeah, it's like, is it, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense of like, is it like the times catching up with them? It's like a new age of somebody. It's like, not really. She's just painting edgier stuff. There's one thing, the one thing I laughed at, maybe, I feel like I laughed once, and it was he's painting, he's painting, uh, what's supposed to be somebody's portrait on TV. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's, he's supposed to be painting a woman's portrait on live TV or something. And then they <laughs> reveal, and it's just like, it looks like a classic landscape that bob ross yeah. would draw he's, he's, it's this mountain he's obsessed with painting and so he, he turns dr- around the, he turns around it's the mountain and she's just like oh, okay i laughed at that i laughed twice i laughed at that and there's a second joke that i cannot remember what it was i just know it involved national treasure Stephen root and that's all i remember oh yeah and i just i just have to say Stephen roots in this because Stephen root is a national treasure he is and it is a shame how much he gets wasted in movies like this <laughs> i know like he's mostly an hbo guy but he will show up in a movie and just be like it'll be this movie <laughs> damn it yeah um yeah there's like that rivalry just doesn't work it's trying to be like anchorman or something is that what it was trying to ape I, like maybe i don't know it just it all falls really 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 flat like i cannot stress how unfunny this movie is. And I've heard, I actually watched it at home because I got a tip that it was very bad. and I didn't want to leave my house, but I've heard the people that trekked out to see it. And I think you, you did that. I've heard no, it plays. Oh, you didn't. Okay, good. I did. I've heard it plays very badly in the room. Like I've heard it just played the stone silence in the critic screening. Oh boy. Oh boy. We'll oh boy. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I don't really have anything else to say. I no, I it's, thought- it's, it's bad. It's confusing. It's not funny. It's not insightful. It's not. A, it's definitely not a Bob Ross story. I, I, I don't know. It's it's just it's just weird in a very um, unpleasant way. Yeah it it seems like it was trying to capitalize on the cult status of Bob Ross, but like it took too long to come out, and it's just coming out now, yeah. and it's just really confusing. Um, I am looking through my notes to see if there's anything in here that's interesting. I wrote that it feels like it was made out of spite for not being able to use the name. It just feels like, like we can't use Bob Ross. All right, well, fuck him. We'll make this movie anyway. Um, there's something to the idea of something so local becoming a national phenomenon, right? But they do not explore that at all. Oh, no, not at all. Because he he isn't. I thought the whole, because it feels like the whole gag is like he's not a national. He's a, he's a local 
star because yeah. it's all the people like around there like in a retirement home and at the bar watching him it's yeah, not like the running joke thing. is it's that weird. one day he'll get in the burlington museum <laughs> like like yeah, that's so... yeah uh anyway yeah i wanted to like it there's there's definite it, it just feels like a 30 rock running gag where like uh uh jenna has to do the she can't do janice joplin so she does jackie jorp jorp <laughs> It, it's just very silly stuff. Um, one star. There's yeah, nothing. one star. Yep. One, one brush stroke. It is completely and utterly laugh-free and completely confounding. If you want to be confused by a movie, check it out. Because it's very confusing. And um, somehow manages to drag, even though it's like 90 minutes long. All right. Uh, speaking of dragging, let's talk about Ride On which is a very lengthy 125 minutes. A very lengthy 125 minutes. I was with this movie until I wasn't. Um, I, we'll talk about it. Here's the trailer for Ride On. It's a, ch- a Chinese film. It stars Jackie Chan. The tone of that trailer does not match the mostly mellow drama of this movie. Uh, Mark, what is Ride On and why are we talking about it? Because it's a movie that we feel like we'd normally not talk about like a you know, a movie like this, but there's a reason why it's got a big star. It's got a big star. It's got Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, who, you know, famously international superstar because he did his own stunts and did his own fight sequences and got hurt a lot. Um, And then sort of, you know, famous still because once he announced about 10 years ago, he's going to cut down on the stunts and the fighting because, you know, he's getting older and that stuff's starting to hurt. Um, Everybody started to wonder like, what's he going to do with his career? Um, and I think this is the first movie he's made in that like 10 year period that actually it is. I mean, it does directly address what it would be, what it is that he wants to do with his career. Now he plays a washed up Hong Kong stunt man uh, <laughs> who doesn't know what to do with his career anymore because he, you know, isn't getting work. Um, eventually the story does become about more specific to Chan. It uses footage from Chan's movies. It uses the outtakes where he does get hurt. Um, it uses all that stuff to actually address like the ethics and the um, commitment and the questions of whether or not it's worth doing those kind of stunts. Um, and there's a lot of things in life inside yeah. baseball, like contract negotiations of, about how a stunt person is treated on set versus how like a star would be treated on set. Correct. Yeah. There's yeah. all this stuff. It's really, really fascinating. I was involved in all that and it's really too bad. The movie isn't because, Oh man, there's so much, there's so much good stuff here. You have Jan basically playing a, not a version of himself, but someone who's enough like himself and where his career is at right now that you're like, okay, I get it. He's actually, He's actually reflecting on this stuff and the movie itself is mirroring what is going on in his career right now. And I was all on board with that, but it's mostly about the horse. (laughs) 
It's mostly yeah. about his relationship with the horse. And also and, his relationship with his daughter, which is mined for like just such sappy melodrama in not a particularly effective way for most of the movie. At all. And I would also say that the whole story with the daughter is undermined by the fact that it movie really is about his relationship with the horse. This this yeah. poor daughter is like a saint in this movie because she is she she's been abandoned by this guy for a bunch of reasons. She's not sure if she wants to reunite with him. She does eventually just because he comes begging basically for her for him for her to help him. Um and he does he agrees to it and she has to sit by and watch like while well, he's very iffy about her and very critical of her and very argumentative with her. But he adores this horse. And man, that, that woman is a saint to put up with all that. It's so weird. It's so weird to watch that that relationship try to hit that level yeah. of being emotional when you're like, he doesn't really, this character doesn't really seem to care about the daughter because the movie is so busy making it about the humor with the horse, the, the, the ethical dilemma with the horse, all that stuff with the horse. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, and that's really too bad because I was enjoying all the stuff with Chan and mirroring his career. I was yeah, really and it fascinated opens, with that. I was with it for like, I don't know, 15 minutes up top. It's like great physical comedy that you'd expect from Jackie Chan physical action comedy i mean there's some digital a lot of digital trickery going on with the horse and eventually that becomes more and more noticeable to the point where like a huge set piece is really dodgy cgi like horse jump and like to you know the whole the whole charm of jackie chan movies are that he's the the best stuntman in the world who did his own fighting and stunts and got thrown around put his body through the ringer and we got to reap the benefits of seeing that and like you're right this movie addresses that he's uh, what happens when someone's too old to do that i guess but like in practice you're watching a movie where the guy is too old to do that so for like the first time in a while or maybe first time ever for me like you notice that jackie chan at times is using a stunt double (laughs) and that kind of i mean it's pretty fun to think about like the inception of you're playing Jackie Chan stuntman in a movie about Jackie Chan the stuntman playing a stuntman. It's very confusing, but um, it's just a bummer. I mean, it's inherent. He's old. I get it. I don't want him to be hurt. I'm glad he had a stunt double. But it's as a movie viewer, I'm like, I don't really care about a Jackie Chan movie if it doesn't have that much Jackie Chan action in it. It just doesn't. It, it it's an it's just a bummer. And if it has you know, if it relies on CGI as much as this movie does, it's just like. I get it. I appreciate that he's still trying to make movies in the current landscape the way he can, but it just mostly reminded me of what the other movies have that this one doesn't. And I was mostly, mostly just kind of conf- I get another confusing movie where I'm like, this is pretty good. Uh, a good enough movie about a guy reconnecting with his daughter via this horse or whatever. And then it just gets all these side plots about, again, the contract nego- It's basically like fighting for the lower tier workers, it seems like at first, but then it starts to be like a vanity thing about like a star who's like pampered on the set too much. And then it also there's has local like, gangsters. <laughs> there's local gangsters. There's the, the, the boyfriend of her girl, of his oh, daughter, yeah. that he's like teaching how to fight because he's a lawyer who's like, is doesn't know how to fight. And there's just like so much going on. And then they're making movies. It's just like, it just so much stuff starts happening and none of it is 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 about what the movie's about as far as i'm concerned um so yeah it's just kind of underwhelming and ends pretty much how you think it will and yeah i don't know it's disappointing even though i like i didn't hear about it until the day that i saw it i'm still disappointed because it's uh 
it didn't deliver what I know a Jackie Chan movie can. But hey, you can watch Police Story anytime. So go ahead and watch that. Uh, it's it's not horrible. It's probably a two star experience yeah, for me. That's that's exactly where I'm at with it too. Um, yeah. Oh, you've so apparently you've missed out on this whole like ten year span of Jackie Chan's career. I He's haven't. The, yeah, yeah, I haven't watched. Like, I know oh, he man. did the Johnny Knoxville skip trace. I didn't see that. Yeah, and I didn't see whatever. Oh, the the there was one I did the, see. Uh, was, it was like a was intense thriller. Is that it? Yeah, I think I so. I think it was. I think that was what it was called, where he was... Yeah, I don't even remember the plot of that. But Me yeah, either. I mean, he's, he's... He can be a good actor, and he can be funny and charming, but he's yeah, so there charming. is something... He's so inherently yeah. charming. He doesn't yeah. have to do a lot to be charming. No, he doesn't. Um, I... That's why this movie almost works. Like, it, it, yeah. it gets by on his charm for quite a while, but there's just too much other stuff. Also, he shoves his hand in the horse's ass really early. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was weird. <laughs> it was weird, but it did make me laugh. I was, I, I was, I guess it was unexpected. I was like, oh, God, he really just, yeah. that happened, didn't it? And then the way he, like, wipes it on the wall. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, all right. Uh, let's get on to the final two. We've got You're Killing Me, a movie that I saw a week ago. Let's see if I can remember it. It's one of those. Um, You're Killing Me. Your dad is on the board at Pinbrook, right? You want me to put in a good word for you, don't you? Someone else already asked you to do that? Yeah, just you and every other scholarship kid at the school. Well, what was that? Um, we're going to go to a party tonight. And I'll believe you're making me do this. It's all going to work out. Oh, looks like you could uh, use a partner. You make this cup? I'll make sure my dad writes you that recommendation letter. Authorities have recovered three bodies, and now looks like there's some suspicious activity. Does anybody see my sister? One of you knows something. Mark, talk to me about you're killing me. What's going on here? What is this movie? Am I killing you? No, <laughs> I, I know Mark I'm, liked this movie more than me. I like this I'm, movie. I, I'm excited to find out why, because it seems just like pretty standard. Other movies have done this better, and this isn't very predictable yeah i guess is my point it's yeah. yeah it's i mean i've well i wouldn't say it's entirely predictable that's where i'm at with it but i so yeah it's a story of this you know college bound you know young woman who's trying to get a scholarship but she's on the wait list for her dream school um that her best friend's going to she wants to make sure she goes there um and yeah she tries to get this you know rich privileged guy's dad to write a letter of recommendation but to do that she has to go to this party there's this whole other thing going on where this um other student has been missing for like a while and they suspect foul play yeah that's um, how the movie starts that is yeah it's everything that happens afterwards that's why i was like it I is everything it. okay it's ever yeah. what i mean it's it is okay so for, i i don't know how much i can say because a lot of it is predictable look the rich, the rich kid is involved in the disappearance of the girl. Let's just let's get that out of the way. So once our, our protagonist, played by Michaela Miller, uh, Michaela Miller, finds that out, she has to um, protect herself, defend herself, and keep um, the guy and his friends from getting to her. So it feels like it is like this sort of standoff siege sort of movie. And for me, I thought, okay. There's not much you can do with this. I was enjoying the whole the whole standoff that's going on, like in these enclosed rooms. I think the way that the characters try to work out what they're going to do and trying to avoid each other, like all this stuff, I thought it worked out. What I really appreciate about the movie is that the filmmakers know that you can only go so far with that, and so it keeps evolving. 
I liked that the situation keeps evolving. I liked that the characters and the dilemmas keep evolving to the point where it is about this entirely different thing. It's about privilege and it's about how people expect that they're going to be able to get away with stuff because they have money or because they have power or because they have all this stuff. And it's about characters feeling tempted by that. And it's about characters standing up to that. And it is in one sequence that was completely unpredictable for me because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. There's this whole like hopeless, helpless sequence where I didn't know how it was going to turn out for these guys. Um, I don't want to say too much about the situation because it is like an entire a movie about entirely about situations. Um, I don't know. I was caught up in it. I was caught up in the way that it kept changing uh, the stakes and it kept changing what it's trying to do and kept changing what it's trying to say. And I, I appreciated that. See, That's for me, it started as like the setup is what it is. She's going to the party. It's very clear what's going to happen. And then it becomes like green room for dummies for a while where it's like they're trapped in a room right and they can't get out and you know they're just trapped in a room and that's what it is and they can't get out and then they get out and then it becomes more tedious and predictable as basically why it's predictable if you read the cast list it's like okay who's in this movie uh Dermot Mul- what's his name? Is it Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulroney? This, I one always is, get him- <laughs> uh, this one is Dermot Mulroney. I do it's too. It's Dermot and- Mulroney and Anne Heche. And once I heard they're in it, and once you're watching the movie, you're like, hmm, I wonder how they're going to manifest in this movie. And then they manifest in the way you expect them to. And then everything unfolds the way you expect it to. I found it to be very tedious and predictable at a certain point. But like before that, I would agree with you. I thought it was fun enough until it got really tedious and predictable. I had hopes for it, but then it just really, it just fell really flat and um, really did nothing for me. There's like flashes of cool stuff in it, but it really didn't get over the line for me. It's like a, uh, I would say a generous two for me. Okay. Where are I'm, at, I'm at a, a, apparently a generous, but low tier three. I, I enjoyed it and I liked what it did and I liked what it had to say. And that's pretty much that's pretty much all I needed, I guess, from it. Um, yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, s- check it out. and l- Let us know who's right. Tweet hashtag Team Brett or Team Mark at us now, and we'll finally uh, see who's right once and for all. Um, let's actually uh, let's end with one we'll agree on. Let's talk about... We should always do this. We should always end with one we'll agree on. Uh, let's end with run, One True Loves, which we both loved. Blair. Want to get married? <laughs> yes! Ladies and gentlemen, Jesse and Emma Lerner! Streaming out! You can just fly off to Alaska. Yeah, I'll call you when I land. Hello? Mrs. Lerner, your husband was on a helicopter that went down in the Pacific. Jesse, at first, it was so hard to let go. <laughs> refused to admit but then i started to think that the good days could be good weeks or good months i'm finally ready to live again emma sam the trailer frames the relationships better than the movie does because the way the movie does you're like well, this is fucking weird. <laughs> this is a weird way to do a romantic comedy or whatever this is supposed to be. Um, clearly, you can kind of see how cheap and indie it looks, but 
I don't think anyone's ready for how inept and amateurish this movie is. Mark, why are we why are we so mean to this one? What's going we on? Are, we are so mean to this movie because it is really, really bad. It is a ham-fisted romantic melodrama played with complete sincerity to the point that I, I really think a parody version of this movie could have the same screenplay. Um, and it would and it would be really funny. I was laughing hilariously through most of this. There is the I don't know from based on that trailer, if you get the idea that he is going to Alaska on his own, her husband, Philippa Sue's husband, is going to Alaska on his own. Um, and somehow decides to make that trip from California to Alaska via a helicopter, I think, and also ends up in the Pacific Ocean. But somehow along the way, wherever it crashes, he ends up on a tropical island where he's stranded for four years. He's like castawayed, yeah. He is castawayed. I think that also takes place in four years. So you have to imagine that he is stuck on this island for four years. Um, there it's is the that way shot- this movie even goes about the very basic melodramatic bullshit. It is just so inept. It, 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 it has no, it has the oddest rhythm or lack of rhythm oh, yeah. I've ever seen in a movie. It just cuts to fades to black unnaturally awkwardly cut dialogue where conversations don't even make sense because words or parts of it are cut. It just is so poorly put together. So it's so, it's so ineptly made plus. Okay. So the big plot is that she, the, the, the husband who's been lost on the Island for four years, comes back. He's rescued somehow, apparently because he's a long distance swimmer. And I think that is literally how the movie establishes that we were supposed to expect that he got back home. Is somehow because of his long distance swimming skills. It, it makes no sense. Don't ask any questions about the timing. The movie holds off like until like the third act to explain he's been on that island. He had been on that island for four years because I think they were trying to figure out like, okay, what feels like a long time, but also at least semi believable that she would end up moving on from him because she does. So we meet her dating this other guy, engaged to this other guy played by Simu Liu. Um, and so when husband comes back, she has to decide between the husband she thought was dead and the fiance who's alive and makes her happy. This movie should be called The Cucking of Shang-Chi. <laughs> that would work. Anyway, <laughs> thank, you know what's you. crazy? That entire thing that I explained, him getting lost in the desert island and her getting engaged and him coming back, that's like the first 15 minutes of the movie. That's All right. of that information happened so quickly. And, and we, met, why was- we met her with Simu Lu first. Yes. Which makes yep. the whole thing come off like just wrong, right? Like it starts it on the wrong foot. So you're like, I want her to be with this guy. But then you meet the other guy and you're like, oh, wait, shouldn't she be with this guy? It just, you're right about the parody thing. And there's a part of me that's like, should we not be so mean? Because there's an entire industry built off these type of movies. They're, they're called Hallmark movies or Lifetime movies. And it feels perfectly at home with one of those it's just like i guess it lacks a christmas element or something if they they added that it would be perfectly at home on one of those channels so like there is an audience for crap like this but to be clear it is very poorly put together crap and like i want to give it what do i want to give credit for i don't know know. nothing it is very bad you're right it's really really bad it's the only thing i'm giving it credit for is i was laughing a lot um, when I'm not supposed to, I completely forgot my favorite detail. I think was Simu Emu's character. Um, after did she you, did, you just off, call him the Simu Emu, the Limu Emu, Simu 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 character. <laughs> like, 
I, I heard it as the Limu Emu, and a, I really enjoyed it. There's a that, lot because so. I'm about to include a grilled cheese sandwich. So Simu Liu's grilled cheese sandwich feels like a tongue twister that I'm getting ready for. Yeah. So anyway, right she down. goes off to see her husband, and she comes home to find Simu Liu's character cooking her up a grilled cheese sandwich. And he explains, oh, I was just making it in case you came home. And I'm just... Normal I'm like, behavior. Again, what? the cucking of Shang-Chi. This man so, is made to be a fool the whole movie. <laughs> and so for the rest of the movie, I'm imagining Simu Liu going home and cooking a grilled cheese sandwich for his fiance, who may or may not come home because that's <laughs> that's what that's how nice a guy he also, is. Also, the performances are quite bad, including the They lead. are really bad. Ella Basu is quite bad. And I think she's like a Broadway person. She is, she's in Hamilton. She yeah. was one of the you know starring the breakout you know, star of Hamilton. Um, quite bad in this movie. Um, don't know if she's to blame or the director. Let's talk about the director for a second, if only because this movie looks like, like as I said, it belongs on Hallmark. It belongs on Lifetime. It is very low rent. It does not look like a real movie, and yet this is a real director, Mark. Not like an amazing director, but he's directed real movies that are hits, like She's the Man with Amanda Bynes, The Game Plan with The Rock. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, You Again with, was that Zach Efron? What's You Again? Um, oh, Kristen maybe. Bell. Jamie Lee Curtis had a body. What is that? Is that a body swap movie? I do not remember that one. Anyway. I don't remember done, either. Oh, well. He did Playing with Fire with John Cena recently. He's still made, like, he's made movies. So it just does not track that he directed this movie. Like it feels like maybe his name's on it, but like his little, his letters like son directed or something. It just does not read like a guy who's ever directed a movie in Hollywood would have <laughs> let, the, let this movie look as dreadful as it does on top of being like bad in every other way too. It just, it's a fucking bad movie. W- one true loves more like one bad movie. That's what I say. Da, da, da. You showed that movie. <laughs> I sure did. You showed them. <laughs> that movie will never try to make me watch it again. Um, well, good luck to Andy Fickman and his career. I hope he makes a real movie next instead of whatever this was or what happened to it. Um, or direct the actual parody of this movie because it would be, oh, man. It'd be yeah, so funny. it's just an incredible melodrama where like none of it makes any sense. It, it requires such suspension of disbelief, which like I love a good melodrama. I'm all about a movie where like, you thought your lover was dead and he's suddenly back. Like that sounds so cool. And I'm sure that I've seen plenty of movies that do it well, but like this movie does it so ineptly. I was constantly confused and like, just being like, is it about, is it really about this? Because of the way it's framed. I'm like, yeah, it seems like it, it seems like it's about her and Simu, but then it ends up being about her and this other guy. And it's then it just, turns out to be actually about, them because they do the flashbacks for some reason to the relationship that we're supposed to be engaged in at the beginning at the end of the movie which i yeah it is also poorly what's the like final messaging it's like weird it's is it it's hallmark it is hallmark movie stuff yeah it's a shoot big city big city woman goes out to the country and learns the finer things of owning a bookstore (laughs) right yeah like literally the that's it's about there's something insidious kind of though about like Accept your circumstances for what they are. Don't dream bigger. Just stay with the easier thing. It just, it, it doesn't, it really rang false to me. And I don't know. It, there's, a, there's a good idea, a germ of an idea in most extreme version ever of an ex is suddenly back in your life. But it is a lifetime-esque melodrama. And it is bad. Um, 
And you know what really smarts? And you know what? This actually makes it perfect for your parody thing. Is her her friend that the joke is that she's constantly saying exposition and like being correct about it. Yeah. Like, oh, you really nailed it, sis. And like that whole thing. It's just not it's just not funny. Yeah. It's just not funny the way that the movie does it because it's explaining nuances of the relationship or situation she that we just figured out because yeah, the movie showed it to us. She literally spells it out. She <laughs> literally spells out, man, you must be having a hard time because your husband that you thought was dead came back and now yeah. you're trying to decide between. She literally, the character literally says that. And I think it's played for a joke and it just doesn't work because you're right. It's not. I it's don't a, think it is. I don't is know it a parody or is it a movie? It, it's horrible. This is also a movie where the husband gets stranded on a desert island so she goes out to a pier with a pair of binoculars and starts looking oh my out God. like she's going to see that's the first thing I wrote down, actually. Hold on. Let me find my notes oh my because God. I was certainly cracking the fuck up. Um, <laughs> but not, yeah, looking for him by dot, 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 standing at the edge of a dock with binoculars. Yeah, it is so funny. Her friend goes to find her, and like the implication is she's been standing there for like weeks <laughs> just looking for him <laughs> through binoculars. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's a horrible movie. But in terms of like, if you were to like, mystery science theater 3000 it, oh yeah it's really funny so take that into consideration with the uh one star review one yep. one one true one, love out of four for, for one, one one tossed grilled cheese sandwich every night while his wife while his fiance is gone we're pivoting to my dog sitting on the bed because yep. he looks really weird he's sitting in a, he's sitting like a person oh okay yep, bye there we go um well there you have it oh boy. that has been Eight movies ranging from four stars to one star on this week for <laughs> on this week's episode. We really got into everything. Um, we'll be back next week with a lot of movies. Uh, Pope's yeah. Exorcist, Renfeld are, are top of mind, but there's a bunch of other ones too. Um, so we'll talk about them. Bye. The show starts in one...
Jalan Sar. Shut up. Ush. <laughs>